ladies and gentlemen. I'd like to take this moment to say thank you for listening to the Real Rescue Podcast. It means a lot to me that you enjoy these stories as much as I do. Since the start of this podcast, we've had a lot of support from all over the world. It has been amazing. Now, we have companies joining our team that also want to say thank you for all that you are doing out there standing the watch. These companies are offering discounts on their products as a way to support the rescue community and those tuning into the Real Rescue Podcast. Just go to therealrescue.com, click on Sponsors, and see these incredible offers for yourself. This episode of the Real Rescue Podcast is brought to you by Breeze Eastern, the world's only dedicated helicopter hoist and winch provider. Access. Because when lives are at stake and conditions are challenging, clear communication is of the utmost importance. SR3 Rescue Concepts, because you don't know what you don't know. And Versalips, to be your best, you need to squat your best. Breeze Eastern, they dedicate themselves to our helicopter rescue world. Since the very first helicopter rescue in November of 1945, Breeze Eastern has designed and manufactured superior rescue hoist solutions. While much of the technology and the unique mission requirements have changed over the past 75 years, their commitment to the rescuers, the operators, and those being rescued has not. Contact them today by visiting them at breeze-eastern.com. The Axness PNG wireless ICS system can bring cutting-edge wireless intercommunication system technology to any aircraft. The PNG system can be fully integrated into an existing ICS system or can be carried on and off as a mobile base station. They can go anywhere, at any time, on any aircraft. Plus, with the strongest and most robust waterproof handheld on the market, this system can take a hit and keep working. Their wireless intercom systems are designed to enhance situational awareness through improved communication capability. This system brings superior noise-canceling technology to eliminate rotor wash and engine noise from your ICS. The Axness PNG wireless system is currently deployed in more than 1,800 public safety, air ambulance, and search and rescue aircraft worldwide. I have personally used the Axness system in four different countries and on five different airframes. It is awesome. If you want more information, contact them today at axness.com. That's A-X-N-E-S.com. You just make sure you tell them Quinny sent me. SR3 Rescue Concepts is a training company that can help your helicopter training. They train daytime, nighttime, aerial firefighting, hoist, longline, fast rope, rappel, and more. They can assist your program with standardization and safety checks or just an FAA annual refresher. With the certified flight instructor pilots and experienced crew, they are ready to help your agency keep up to date with current techniques, rules, regulations, and equipment. Plus, right now, SR3 is offering 10% off anything in their web store with the promo code, all capital letters, REALRESCUE, R-E-A-L-R-E-S-Q. Plus, they are offering another 10% from their partners, Petzl, and their equipment. All you got to do is send an email to info at sr3rescueconcepts.com 
mention this podcast, The Real Rescue Podcast, and they'll take care of the rest. And Versalist. When you're at the gym working on your squats, building your leg strength for the next rescue mission, depth matters. If you're like me, getting below parallel on your squats is tough. Well, allow me to introduce Versalifts Heel Inserts. These gems have become one of my new favorite accessories in my gym bag. Simply place them into your regular training shoe, either on top or underneath the insole, and bam! You've got a heel lift benefit of a weightlifting shoe, but the comfort and flexibility of your regular trainer. So the next time your workout just has heavy squats, grab your V2 strength inserts. Or how about a run, pull up, push up, air squat, and another run? Grab your V2 endurance insert. Or my own personal workout of running, clusters, and ring muscle up. Grab your original V2 inserts and go crush it. Check them out today at vlifts.com or on Instagram at Versalift. And when you're ready to get a few pair of your own, make sure you get your 10% off with the Real Rescue discount code. Squat well, friends. Coming up next, myself and Mr. John Gray from Hangar Z Podcast team up together for our next interview. The great part about this is that we sit down together with Riverside County Sheriff's Department. Those guys had an amazing rescue and I wanted to hear about it and then John wanted to hear about it and him and I talked about just collaborating together to make it happen. It came out fantastic and we're so happy those guys came on and to join us to be able to do it. So please welcome our next guest, the crew from Riverside County Sheriff's Department and the rescue that earned them the Aviation Public Safety Association 2002 Air Crew of the Year Award. My name is Jason Quinn. I am United States Coast Guard Rescue Swimmer number 500. These are my rescues and rescues from those of us that put our lives on the line every day so others may live. This is The Real Rescue Podcast. Hey, welcome to the Hangar Z Real Rescue Mashup Podcast. I'm your host, John Gray. Uh, with us, we got Quinny. What's up, Quinny? What's up, John? Good to see you, my yeah, friend. Yeah, buddy. Like Real Rescue, Hangar Z coming together. Yeah, dude. It's kind of a trip, huh? It is. It's about time. <laughs> I would try and say where you're at, but you've told me like three times and I can't remember what you said, so I'll, I'll let you say where you are. Curacao. He's in Curacao. Curacao. Yeah, yeah. And where is that? It's uh, just north of Venezuela. Okay. Yeah. I don't so know inclusive resort in... at the moment, but I don't want to throw that nice. in there too much. <laughs> hey, Quinny's coming to us even though he's fighting a cold. So a little bit, he's, yeah. That's, that's he's down I, for the I cause. I feel dedicated to this one because I love the story that's about to be told. So I'm yeah. excited to hear it. And then with us for the second time is uh, the crew of Rescue 9 from the Riverside County Sheriff's Department. Now, this is an interview that we attempted once before in their hangar and uh, through some technical difficulties uh the audio did not turn out very well so we uh we changed the format of the interview and brought on chad drew and and mike and we'll get into your guys's roles as we go but chad we'll start with you how you doing chad doing great thanks for having me tonight yeah man and uh where are you coming to us from the uh northern arizona region okay are you guys in the middle of some snow, or what do you guys have going on now? Uh, most of it's melted off. Just got a, a couple inches here for a couple of days, and that's just up in the uh, kind of upper elevations right now. But it's nice. 
good cool weather and drew i know you're you're uh, out of the region as well where are you coming to us from i'm visiting my sister doing a little vacation in scottsdale arizona i won't be as secretive as uh chad here on whatever <laughs> part of arizona that is and quinny i can i can tell your throat looks very sore i can see how sore it looks so i apologize for that but oh thanks we're gonna man. have a good yeah, we're gonna have a good time you. we're gonna have a good time yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, it's nice amazing. to finally meet you yeah quinny's fighting through it and then we got Mike Edwards. How you doing, Mike? Good. How are you guys doing tonight? Thanks for having me on. Yeah, man. Stoked to have you join us and, and really happy to recover this interview because, you know, talking about this incident and the award you guys got subsequent to the incident is is really cool. So I'll just start off by saying, and Quinny will get into this as, as we go, but um, you guys won the 2022 Captain Gus Crawford Memorial Air Crew of the Year Award through APSA. So congratulations to you guys. Yeah, well done, gentlemen. There's two more you, that, that were part of this that that uh, just for logistic logistics sake, we uh, we didn't have come on, and they're they're part of the story and part of the award as well. But uh, you know, the more people that we have on the the remote recordings, the more it becomes like herding cats. So we thought we'd try and keep it as simple as we could and and go from there. So sounds good. Yeah, man. Again, stoked to have you guys. Stoked to have Quinny uh, doing this first real rescue hangar Z podcast mashup thing is, is is pretty epic so yeah I'm, I'm freaking stoked about this i really am <laughs> just so you yeah. know it's really true all my emotions are totally real so as we get into the story i'm gonna be like what <laughs> yes, wow. you love that that emotion you bring with your interviews that's my favorite part of listening to it is you get all stoked out and and you're like yelling at the guests <laughs> yeah, it's bit. really cool thanks for having us as your first mashup i mean uh, hopefully it's uh entertaining enough for all the viewers but just don't disappoint yeah. drew well, I mean, I that's my that's my life goal is to disappoint. So oh, I thought you, I thought you were going to say it's your life story, and I was like, oh boy. Yeah, no, yeah. we'll see. We'll see how many views it gets, and we'll we'll talk about that later. Okay. Well, yeah, being being that uh, you know, Quinny's covering the the rescue side of things, and and we're covering public safety in general, but law enforcement uh, in particular most of the time. It just seemed like a really good opportunity for us to to join forces and, and do this together and again this this rescue and this incident is not your ordinary rescue not that any of them are but this is a extraordinary uh, mission that you guys were a part of and really cool to dig into it and uh and hear about it so but before we do that you know the hangers eat podcast uh we do drink the day and uh you know Quinny's not in saudi arabia so he should be entitled to something although the cold might have him down to some NyQuil or something, but, um, <laughs> Is that cool? for, you know what? Hold on. Let me, let me, let me just reach into the mini bar. Oh, oh, look. Oh, Heineken. What? There you go. What? what is this? Don't, don't touch the Heine. <laughs> <laughs> That's just for you guys tonight. All right. Yeah, nice. buddy. Thanks, all right. Nice. Well, I'm doing, uh, the, uh, I've been trying to break into the whiskeys. You know, when I went to, uh, echo, their, their public safety aviation conference. Uh, Clay Lacey introduced me to, to Eagle rare. My wife made me a, a drink with some Eagle rare whiskey tonight. It's uh, yeah, just some bitters, a little bit, a little bit of whiskey and, and some ice. So that's what I'm rolling with. Drew, I see your, your, uh, actually I got a little whiskey <laughs> and a little, my favorite Coors Light. So I got a little, little bullet bourbon and some Coors Light. All right. I call them Cheers lattes. I call them lattes. So, <laughs> lattes. or some people just call yeah. it water. 
Yeah, I mean, it's, it keeps me hydrated, so yeah. you can say what I can have like ninety of them and be uh, good to go. You know. So. Mike, what do you got? Uh, tonight I got water. I'm on call in a couple hours. Smart so. man. And Chad, yeah, very disappointed. Uh, rolling with the Santan Brewery Juicy Jack Hazy IPA out of Chandler, Arizona. That sounds good. Quite that's, tasty. That's not far from where you are. Is that kind of the main uh, brewery that's distributing to where you're or where you're staying at? I think they're pretty big throughout the state. It's about an hour and a half uh, south from where I am in the valley, well, down where Drew is. They have a Mr. Pineapple that I absolutely love. I love Santan Brewing. That's the half, oh, really? Right? Yeah. Yeah, my yeah. wife likes that one, too. Yeah. Awesome. That's cool. She's got good taste. <laughs> <laughs> well, the drink of the day is always fun. I like to hear what everyone's got, got rolling for the night. We got that taken care of, and and now it's time to hop in the in the hot seat. So it's just to kind of get the the brain juices flowing and and see what kind of randomness we can pull out of these questions. Uh, so for the f- first hot seat question tonight, and uh, Chad, we'll start with you. You're probably the the elder, at least of your of your peers here. What outdated slang do you still use? Uh, sweet or awesome? I think the probably outdated, but I still tend to say it a lot. Sweet, bro. That's you know that's incriminating because I use both of those. So <laughs> I think I'm right there with you. The elder, um, though. I like that. Thank you. Distinguished. <laughs> yeah, distinguished. Distinguished modern gentleman. I'm going to take Don't a shot in the dark here. With, Don't ever say that with Chad. Distinguished. <laughs> <laughs> Drew, how about you? What what, doubted, what outdated sling do you still use? I don't, he's young. I don't know. He doesn't, he's not outdated. I don't think anything is outdated. I mean, the new thing on the block is lit, L-I-T, just lit. Cool, I guess. I don't know. I'm, I'm, I guess that sounds pretty lame, but I don't. I don't think anything I say is outdated because I'm so young. <laughs> I feel like if if you're the one saying nothing tight? I say is outdated, that that's not your problem. Well, yeah, you guys are you guys are a little older than I am, so what do I say? Uh, Mike, how about you? I don't. I don't think it's slang, but I I call everybody brother. So I like that. Yeah, I think it's a term of endearment. You know, how do you spell it, Mike? Sometimes. How do you spell it? <laughs> <He's> spe- <laughs> <laughs> yeah. a, Quinny, a, Quinny, where are you we'll at? Leave it at that. That's fine. Quinny, what do you got? <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. I saw, I saw a problem about to happen, so I just diverted. Uh, well done. Well done. For me, uh, it, it's never going to get old because I'm from Massachusetts, so it's wicked awesome. <laughs> oh, man. Well, you got to say it with the Massachusetts oh, yeah. a- the accent. Oh, wicked. It's wicked awesome. Let me just tell you. <laughs> I'd imagine that's something that's still said there today. Like that just seems cultural. Yes, it's it's yeah. definitely going to go away. Yeah, in the, in the same way, and I don't say with an accent, but being from California, and I think it's my age, but dude, like a California thing, you know, I say that, and, and my kids look at me like I'm I'm dated myself, you know. So yeah, that's that's uh that's where we're at, but it's all good. Uh, question number two, and Chad, we'll go back to you to start. <laughs> and again, this I guess kind of goes back to to the age thing and you being the older. So you probably you probably own the oldest thing here. What's the oldest thing you own? Wow, oldest thing I own. I have an original Fleetwood Mac. Uh, I have to go get the vinyl out, but uh, original still on the wrapper. Oh, that's cool. Nice. About so as old as I am. Uh, Seventy five, I believe. It's like sixty five years old. Yeah, well, sounds about <laughs> right. <laughs> I look forward to seeing you in person next time, Drew. <laughs> You're going to be left to the hangar all week. Drew, how about you? What's the oldest thing you own? Um, well, I love antiquing. It's like 
it's a weird passion of mine, but I got something back from 1910, a little brass dog statue from 1910. It's a little like door holder and the little dogs, little Scotty dogs, like holding the leg up, like it's taking a piss. It's funny as shit. So it sits right. right there by my TV and my den, but so I'm like, I, the oldest thing I know is like 1910. Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah. Mike? I have a 1943, I don't know if I want to say it right, Moisin Nagant rifle. You said it wrong. Sure the Russian wrong. rifle. Okay, Russian? I'm pretty sure I said it wrong. That's cool. Yeah. Well, it, the idea that it's that it's an, an old antique rifle is pretty cool. Quinny, how about you? So I think the oldest thing that I, I own uh, is a set of dice. I know it sounds mm. funny, and I couldn't even tell you what the date is from, but it's from my great-great-grandfather on my dad's side. They get handed down to every son the next son so, that's cool is there yeah. a story behind the dice that you know of not that i'm aware of probably a gambling yeah. problem <laughs> just some issues but yeah. other than that we'll keep that yeah uh, that, that's cool well this this last summer we were uh back east and uh we went to an antique store in, in i guess it'd be east tennessee and they had a bunch of civil war uh paraphernalia you know it was actually from the civil war era so I ended up getting a, a U.S. you know Union soldier belt buckle that was from that era, and of course they tell you, yeah, of course it was in the Civil War, and there was like a, a chip out of the top of the, the the buckle, and they've got the story like, oh, I was hit by a bullet and it saved the guy's life. I'm like, you just totally made that up, <laughs> but you know, uh, you can tell it's an old an old belt buckle, and so I'm just gonna go with what they told just me. with it. Yeah, yeah, it's a Civil War belt buckle that saved some guy's life. So that's that's what I got. Yeah. So Hell yeah. Yep. All right. Question number three. This is the last one. Um, and Chad, we'll we'll start with you again. If you could experience one year from your life again, what year would it be? Yeah, giving that one some thought. Um, <laughs> I guess uh, turning eighteen. You know, graduating high school and taking that first step of uh, moving out, getting out from under the umbrella, and kind of. You know, starting to learn about life and do your own thing. Yeah, yeah, I like that. I'll come back to it, but that's, that'd be my response too. Drew, how about you? Man, that's a hard question. I haven't lived that long, but um, uh, I don't know. I don't have that many regrets, but I moved out when I was 18. I, maybe three years ago, another critical incident I was involved in, I, there was some things like we could have done different, and I, maybe I would have done that. So that would have been 2020, I think. Okay. Maybe that. Yeah, it's interesting how the question, how it's perceived, because um, that's definitely a, a takeaway from it, you know, as far as like, if you could redo something in my answer, and I'll just give it out here since I'm talking about it. And I think of like, what's the best year that you want to kind of re-experience? And for me, it's what Chad said, my my senior in high school, I feel like your senior year in high school, you've got no responsibility, no financial responsibility or very little, you know, it, the money that you make goes to paying for gas, insurance in your car. If most people, that's where they're at. That's where I was. Uh, all yeah, your friends 100%. are with you and you're just, you're getting ready to become an adult. You feel like you're an adult and it's just, it was so fun. It was the, it was the right mixture of being an adult, but also having no responsibility, you know? So that was for me, that's the one year I, I do all over again. Cause that was so fun. I don't know. I just had so much, I had so much fun that year. I don't know if I need to do it again. It's just I'm looking <laughs> back, it's just like, is there any year that you like re- regret anything? And I think, yeah, I think it, just like two years ago would be, it's not even a regret. It's just there's things you could do different, right? Want to I, do I, different, I've yeah. enjoyed. I could. I would relive every year the same and just do it the same and have just as much fun. I guess. Like it, Mike. How about you? Uh, that's an easy. It's an easy question. Uh, I would go back and 
when I got deployed to Afghanistan for 12 months. The guys I served with were the best guys I ever I ever knew. So I would do that year over again. That's cool. Yeah, I feel like that's a, a story, a whole story for a whole episode of a podcast right there. All right, well, Quinny, let's let's finish up with you. All right, so uh, I, you guys could probably going to kind of laugh at me. I, I do a couple of years over, but one in particular that stands out to me is 2010. And it was kind of a, a, a like the beginning of a shitty year. And that's the same year I met my wife, which ended up turning yeah. my life entirely around. And it has gone like awesome since then. So it was kind of like a, oh, this sucks. Oh my God, this is awesome. So, <laughs> Roller coaster yeah, every year. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. So I think you'll score some points with that answer if, you know, at a minimum. That is the point. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Is she in the room with you right no, now? No, she's not. She's working. <laughs> Hi, wife. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, that's it. Blink three times if you're in danger. Yeah. <laughs> that answer was also uh, for when I screw up later. <laughs> yeah. I put some credit in the bank. <laughs> she wrote that one down for sure. Probably. <laughs> I can neither confirm nor deny. <laughs> Oh, wait a minute. I'm talking to cops. I plead the fifth. <laughs> See right through that crap. <laughs> All right. Well, that's uh drink the day in the hot seat. So, you know, talking about this being the mashup, the, the podcast mashup between the Royal Rescue podcast and the Hangar Z podcast. Uh, this is the point where I want to hand the reins over to, to Quinny and, and let him and take over. So Quinny, it's all you, sir. Dude, thank you, John. Uh, gentlemen, again, congratulations and well done on the APSA Air Crew of the Year Award. And the uh, award is, let's see, let me read it here. This award identifies and recognizes the individual and or crew members whose flying efforts and professionalism uh, epitomize APSA's motto to serve and protect from the air. And you guys went out and did exactly that. And uh, this is the whole reason that that John and I got together to be able to get this story and um, I'm super stoked to hear about it. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to read the first uh, two paragraphs of the write-up that was sent in. Um, and if I screw some of this up, I'm sorry. You guys can help me out with the names, including the mountain again, because I already forgot what it is. <laughs> all right. But San Jacinto. All right. Guess what? You get to say that when I come to it. Okay? Yeah. Just give me a cue. I'll say it for you. Roger that. All right. So here's the write-up. On January 27, 2002, at 18.37 hours, the air crew of Riverside County Sheriff's Department, call sign Rescue 9, was dispatched to an injured California State Park ranger. The ranger was responding on foot to assist two stranded hikers that were in icy and snowy conditions at 8,000-foot level of the Skyline Trail Mount San Jacinto. Thank you. And I think you should say it. Well, I think you should say it, though. All right. San Jacinto. Huh? <laughs> okay. That's actually pretty good. All right. Oh, not All bad. Right. All right. Not bad. Mount San Jacinto. <laughs> In the go. ranger's attempt to hike down to the victim, he slipped approximately 200 feet on the icy snow. Due to the fall, he immediately lost his ice axe. The ranger grabbed a small, bushy branch, which stopped his slide just at the edge of a cliff. At this point, the ranger was nearly upside down and hanging halfway off the cliff, which dropped, uh, which the drop was approximately 500 feet deep. He had limited visibility due to the darkness, and the temperature was below freezing. 
The air crew arrived overhead approximately 40 minutes later after his initial call. Seeing Rescue 9 overhead, the ranger radioed them to advise that hypothermia was setting in, and given his position, he would not live if he was not rescued very shortly. The ranger began talking the air crew into his position. The air crew noted the ranger was very panicked, and they had to calm him down over the radio. The ranger apologized, but again reiterated that he believed he would die if not rescued. He stated he was losing his grip on the branch and could not feel his hands due to the cold. He conveys that he's holding on only by a small branch, and his heavy pack was pulling him down over the top of the cliff. The air crew acknowledged the situation and began to assess and formulate a plan. I'm going to end it right there because that in itself is just like legit. And I, I'm like beyond excited to get into this. Uh, I am curious about like, how did you guys even get called out? I know it says the Ranger call, but what did he just hail, hail Mary on the radio? Mayday, mayday, mayday or what? Was that, that was actually the second call. Okay. Well, let's go. I mean, uh, well, sorry, John, back to you for a second there, bud. Yeah. So on that, Chad, do you want to walk us through basically how the, the call came through to you guys and, and what the response looked like from there? So for the uh, State Park Rangers, they have their own dispatch center. So I'm sure he relayed to them, hey, I need some assistance. So they uh, they call over to our dispatch center. And then we have a hailing frequency called air call. So anytime dispatch needs to get one of get a hold of one of the air crew, patrol or rescue, they'll come up on that and uh, generate a call. So we log on to the CAD real quick. We'll pull that call. If there's a lat long in there, we'll pull that, plug it in, see where it's at on the mountain, just to kind of get an idea on our way. And then uh, any uh, text that's in there, you know, clothing description, that kind of stuff. So we'll take that with us. But but Chad, if, if I'm not wrong, like did we not, we were dispatched to the two lost hikers or stranded hikers before we got the mayday for the state parks guy, right? Absolutely. Sorry. Yeah. That's yeah. correct. You go ahead and take yeah. over on that one then, Drew. Oh, okay. So good call. I mean, yeah. So we all sit the hangar or not sit the hangar, but we're all doing our job and we got the, the call for a, <laughs> nice an emergency. Of, yes. Of, very of good. Frequency. <laughs> yeah. We got a, the, you know, the call on air call for two stranded hikers. They were experienced, had all the equipment necessary, but stuck on the icy slopes and they couldn't proceed up or go back down where they came from. So they were stuck in an area where they couldn't go up or down. And so, that was our initial call. So we're getting the bird ready, all geared up, ready to go. And, and then in flight is when we got the mayday call for the state parks guy who had left his post to go try to assist those guys who were very close to the top of the peak of Mount San Jacinto. And then when he was, you know, egressing down to them, he slipped and fell. So we quickly transferred our, you know, assessment mid flight from rescuing to, experienced hikers who are in an okay position to a now, you know, serious danger state parks guy who was, you know, fighting for his life. So we immediately switched from saving those two civilians to going to the state parks guy who's hanging off the side of the cliff. In essence, it becomes like an officer down scenario, you know, and you guys are responding to that. But before yeah. we go any further, Quinny, I just want to, you know, paint the picture as far as the program goes. You guys had just brought the, the Airbus H145 online. Uh, within a year of, of this call coming out and you guys, you know, your, your star nine rescue nine, uh, your aviation program um, is set up so that your star nine airships are covering patrol and doing a majority of that type of work. Whereas you guys 
and Star Nine, or I'm sorry, Rescue Nine, are doing most of the 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 rescue work. Chad, can you talk about how that plays a part in this a little bit? Okay. Uh, prior to the 145, we're having Rescue Nine. You know, we did did all of our hoisting and rescues with the uh, H125s. So once that came online, that definitely alleviated the uh, patrol side of it. So those guys just became dedicated. You know, they're handling patrol calls, missing persons, all that good stuff of scene requests for photos, uh, VIP, ride logs, you name it. So the role of Rescue 9 is uh, there's a lot of training. So we are uh, more like the uh, firefighter status. You know, we're, we're listening to air call constantly. And uh, if you squeeze in a workout or, hey, it's, let's go do a training flight, whether it's uh, some IFR, do some approaches into the local airports, or let's go do some hoist training with the uh, rescue techs in the back. So we try and keep ourselves busy, proficient, and then um, inevitably, you know, hey, we'll make a plan. Let's go do this today. And boom, the rescue comes out. So uh, Yeah, it's added a, added a huge level of capability for you guys that, you know, you could do it in the, with the 125, but this particular case in my mind uh, would be a lot different if you were in the 125 versus having the, that 145 that you guys used in this call. So it was really cool that you guys had that. Really cool to see this program take hold and become as successful as it, as it has over the course of the last, what, two years now that it's been active? Yeah, two years. And 100% agreed with that. I mean, had we not had that bird at the time, it would have been the TFO getting on the, you know, strapping himself on the side of the uh, skid with the harness. You have a pilot, and then we'd have our volunteer forces, Riverside Mountain Rescue or uh, Desert Search and Rescue, whoever it may be. And those are the guys that we would actually take up to uh, ride the hook up and down. So now it's you have a pilot, co-pilot, uh, three deputy sheriffs that are trained as EMTs or rescue techs, and that's all they do is they work That's the back of the bus for them. And crew chief, uh, catcher, and then the downside rescuer that rides the hook, and they all kind of rotate, take turns doing that each hop or each day, however the, the schedule is put together and yeah it's it's definitely saves a lot of time versus sitting there holding a hover manually which we're spoiled now because the 145 with its capabilities it's just it's awesome and we're able to you know not just one or two people max in the 125 we can bring i think we've had as many as five or six now with small children in the back during one one evolution so yeah makes a big difference game changer you hear that a lot the the last thing i'll throw out before i hand it back to quinny is is based on our last conversation I remember you guys saying the volunteer search and rescue ground team that you guys usually utilize, they were tied up on another incident, right? I believe they were actually doing training on a different part of the mountain and we don't normally have, you know, open communication. So we don't know what their schedule is. It's, it's, if we, if we need them, we activate them going through dispatch and they'll call them out to us. So at that, as far as I know, all the information we had, we didn't know know that Riverside Mountain Rescue was even on the mountain that night. So it was just, as far as you knew, it was just you guys. You guys were the only people that could that could make an effect on on this rescue. Yeah, we requested them, and they actually did come and help the other two that we, we'll talk about later, that we couldn't uh, end up rescuing, but they were coming from a different part across the freeway. But okay. they're invaluable. They're a great service. But yeah, they were doing some training in a different part of the county, but they got there as quick as they could and ended up saving or rescuing the other two that, that we didn't end up getting to. Quinny, back to you, sir. All right, gentlemen. Well, now, so you guys get launched out for the two, get diverted to the park ranger. What was the radio call that came in for that? Just uh, just your standard standard call out. Just uh, two lost, or not lost hikers, but two stuck hikers, this one was. But they had, um, our dispatch is fantastic. They They know all the questions to ask. They were properly geared had water, had food. They were just stuck in a location that they couldn't go up or down. Um, so it wasn't like a, you know, your 
normal, hey, this guy's got a broken leg or is stuck somewhere. So not that that delays a response or anything like that. It just just makes things different. You know, if someone's like in dire need, you know, everyone's heart starts racing. This was just a normal, your basic, well, we thought was basic routine, you know, rescue. Hey, these guys are stuck. They can't go up. They can't go down. Uh, We're just going to do a hoist and we'll get them out of there. But, um, uh, but they had all the provisions they needed in case we couldn't get up there. You know, it's high altitude. We could get clouds, we could get snow, we could get all that stuff. And it was winter time. So there was snow, but it was just your, uh, somewhat what you called a normal routine, but in law enforcement, you know, nothing's routine. Yeah. And so halfway there, it, it was not no more routine. We got the hailing frequency for, Hey, state parks was on his route there and he's now slipped down the mountain and it changed from the routine to now an emergency and then that's when everything changed so all right drew what where were you sitting in the aircraft what position were you doing so i'm a tactical flight officer and i'd been assigned to rescue nine for only i don't know maybe four or five months uh training the new rescue techs on hoist operations and um they had all gone through medical school, so they knew all the medical stuff. I was just there to to train them on hoist operating. And um, at that point, we took two of the techs and we left one behind just for weight uh, situations and such. And so we went out there and we formulated our plan. We were going for two victims, right? And then obviously things switched midair. And then so I was just going to be the hoist operator and just going to you know lower one of them down for the two victims and then drastically things changed and that just it sent everything into a way different it's yeah it's just something that you don't it's what we train for but you just it's just until it happens to you you just don't know how you're going to act but i was just the hoist operator and then technically the crew chief at that point in time okay chad what were you doing in the aircraft what position were you i was a primary pilot that night we do fly a dual pilot so uh we've got didn't get to mention the other guys that were with us but uh corporal andy rasmussen was the co-pilot that night and uh, rescue tech deputy Mike Doyle was the other guy. And then um, Drew mentioned one other guy. We forgot deputy Travis Lloyd. He was our fuel guy that night. So a uh, very, very important job. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> Real quick. <laughs> <laughs> the day we did the, the recording in person, uh, he was actually uh, given an award. And maybe, Drew, you can talk about the award that he was given on that particular day. Travis, yeah. Uh, yeah he's a great dude. And he's, you know, he's one of our best hoist operators, honestly. But... Uh, he just, he happened to be the guy that got picked behind. It wasn't a flip of a coin or anything. It's just, he sat behind, but, uh, we gave him a golden nozzle for the fuel operator. So I built the wooden base. I built a nice, I do a little, some custom woodwork on the side. So I built him a nice little custom wooden base. And then one of our other, uh, pilots got like a, one of those nozzles, like a gas nozzle online and we spray painted it a gold and just said, you know, shit couldn't happen without him. So we spray painted it gold and. And had it the golden nozzle award for for Travis because he was there. He was integral. You know, you gotta feel the bird up before we go. So without him, we couldn't have flown there. Dang, that's <laughs> what did it say on the trophy? Yeah, so he got a nice little trophy out of it, but and it's sits what, our, it, what does it say on the trophy, Drew? I don't remember what it says, but I I can't fill the gas and kick some ass or something like that. <laughs> something along those lines. He said he said he pumped. He pumped the gas and sat on his ass. Oh, no, no, no. <laughs> oh that's funny. <laughs> yeah, that's. Uh, 
Uh, all right. It's a team effort all around. It's a team effort all around. It's all good. It's all good. So, all right. So, Mike, what what it, What were you doing in the aircraft, Mike? I was uh, I was one of the rescue specialists in the back. Um, I ended up uh, being the one to go down. Nice. Okay. All right. So, Chad, I'm going to come to you real quick because I, I want to find out a little bit more. You guys now get on scene. I'm going to fast forward. Uh, you know, it says the park ranger had kind of radioed you guys in a little bit. Uh, when you see him in his precarious position, what was the first thing that went through your head? I'll be honest, I didn't see him. Oh, Lord. Yeah. Well, hear, hear me out. Hear me out. So um, we had yeah, the lat was, long. It was not easy to see. It was not easy to see. So we had the lat long, and that was plugged in. The co-pilot plugs that in, so we know what direction, bearing, all that good stuff. So once we get there, the pilot actually intentionally kind of offsets because I'm trying to put everything out the left side of the aircraft so that the front pilot, he can look out the front. And then by that time, we've slowed down enough so the door is open. So Drew or the crew chief, whoever's in there, I'm trying to put, you know, paint put that picture for them on the side so that they can see the victim. Hey, I've got it. And then they basically kind of talk me in uh, doing the cadence to where we're centered up over for the hoist. Okay. Now, uh, real quick side note, because you guys find the 145, uh, hoist is on the left side of the aircraft or the right? For us, yes, it's on the left. Uh, there's left Las Vegas Metro and I believe uh, New Mexico State. I think they have theirs on the right, but um, on our A-Stars, we do it on the left. So to kind of keep yep. that consistency. Nice. Uh, we, and it's it's worked out very well for us for uh, center okay. gravity, no issues, and it works. Oh, fantastic. Okay. So now, Drew, you're hanging out the left side. Who was the first person to see the Ranger? So it it was me just because I'm open door hanging out on the skid. I mean, you know, I was fully out there. I, the What I first saw was the two victims that we initially got called for because they had flashlights. They were, you know, signaling us. But at that time, we knew that the state parks guy had fallen, you know, below them. So I saw the two victims that we were initially called out for. And they were in heavy trees. And I told my pa and Copa, I was like, we, we can't get these guys out. Regardless of the situation, if there's a state parks guy that's down the hill, I was like, we, they got to get out of those trees. We can't, we can't hoist into that or out of that. So if they can't hike down, our, our guys can't hike up to them and bring them down. So we started, I told Chad to, to back off a little bit. So we slowly moved the aircraft backwards. And then I just happened to see just some weird blob in the middle of the snow um, we use white phosphorus night vision, which we are, it was, you know, nighttime. And I just happened to see a weird little, you know, thing in the snow. And I was like, I think this is our guy. And then I, I saw something moving back and forth, which, you know, I correlated to an arm moving. And then, you know, we put the spotlight down there and it, it happened to be the the person that we were looking for. So but it was just, you know, not luck, but, you know, you use the information you have, but it was, we went to the proper location and then we guided ourselves down the mountain to where the that victim that we actually saved was at. All right. So now you get to see him hanging on the side of a cliff with a 500 foot drop below it. You guys are hovering yeah. up somewhere around 8,000 feet. What's the first thing that goes through your mind? Where do I put my rescue tech at? Where, because it's all, it's all white. Everything's white. Like, like I said, we're white phosphorus. So, I mean, under goggles or off goggles, everything's just white. Like how deep's the snow? Is it, how big's the slope? Is it really a steep slope? I don't know. Um, it was a very challenging and, and a situation that I had, yeah, I've been in multiple times during the summertime, but under snowy conditions, it's, everything is different. You know, the, the terrain changes. So, um, I found a rock that had a bare spot on top and I said, well, it's probably got ice on it, but at least I know that's a solid, uh, you know, footing. 
and then there was a bush near that rock. So I, I told Mike who was going to go down the hook. So our, our aircraft, we do pilot, co-pilot, rescue chief. We have a downsider and then we have a catcher. And then that catcher could also be an, an extra downsider if we need to send another person down the hook. So we have a five-man crew and the crew chief. So our plan at that time was just to send Mike down, assess the situation. If you needed the extra guy, we could send uh, the uh, my other Mike Doyle down if we needed to. Otherwise, Mike would stay in the aircraft and be the receiver for the victims. Um, so my, I brought Mike up to the door and I said, Mike, I'm going to put you on this rock. He said, okay, I like it. And then that was our decision at that point. And that was obviously subject to change. But at that moment in time, that was all we had to go on and everything else was just white. And you, I couldn't tell anything other than just white or that one little rock. That was it. Oh my gosh. All right, Mike, bring us in, man. You're getting lowered out. You're going to hit a rock, a small little rock. <laughs> well, you know, before that, uh, you know, when we were en route to go get the uh, two victims and in the Basically, it was an 1199 call. Officer needs assistance. Came out. Um, like you said, it was uh, a different atmosphere in the helicopter, especially when we got overhead. Um, they made the same type of calls, uh, getting us in. Drew did. Andy and uh, Chad talking, but you could tell in their voices it was it was a lot different than the other just routine call. So I hadn't had a chance to actually look outside the helicopter to see where we were at. So, and at that time, I was on for about six months with the crew, uh, training, doing rescues, and I hadn't quite yet uh, experienced Cactus of Clouds, the north the north face of San Jacinto, and uh, not during the wintertime. So, I didn't know what was to be expected when I was going down. So, I remember kicking my feet out, Drew pointed where he was going to put me, and I said, okay. It looks like a good spot, and I see the the park ranger on the ground, but because everything is so white, I can't tell how steep it is, and he's laying on his side, so I'm thinking I might do a Stokes, thinking it's kind of flat. I'm not too sure what's going on. I didn't realize how bad it was, so as we're, as he brings me out of the helicopter, I start getting lower down. Um, I'm watching where Drew's putting me down. Um, I see the park ranger again as I get a little closer down. And I see that he's on the side. And I still can't tell how steep it is. Um, I was maybe 20 feet overhead and I still couldn't tell because it was just all white. So Drew did a fantastic job. There were some trees that he was able to get me around. Um, he put me right down exactly where he told me he was going to put me. And it was a little ledge about four feet high. So I actually sat down on it. Oh, nice. So, so I sat down on the ledge and I go to put my left hand down. And that's when I realized that everything I was sitting on was solid ice. There was, it wasn't snow. It was just all ice. It was just about four to six inches of ice just solid ice it wouldn't it wouldn't dig in or anything it was just solid ice and um where i ended up getting set down uh where the ranger at uh, where the ranger was at compared to where i where i was at there was trees and bushes in the way so at that point i had to make the decision either i go back up 
and stay connected because I can't get around the trees attached to the helicopter still. Or I disconnect and then take my chances and work my way around the trees and get down to where the ranger's at. So at that point, I made the decision to disconnect from the helicopter. Oh, my God. Holy shit. Yeah. So uh, once I disconnected, I got down off the little ledge and realized that uh, all the snow out there was just solid ice. It was it was completely frozen over. And it was about a 45-degree angle, the the slope was. So I'm – and I didn't have crampons on. I had micro spikes. Oh, jeez. That's what I was, I was wearing micro spikes. So uh, I was able to make my way around the tree and uh, come out to the clearing where the slope was at, and I'm slowly making my way down. And I remember seeing the ranger. His head was facing to my right as I'm looking at him, and he was uh, horizontal to the slope. So he was laying on his left side, and his hands were holding on to the tree branch, and he was completely stretched out, and his heels were dug into this rock that was sticking out of the ice that was maybe about about that wide like and about that deep. A foot and so a half, two feet wide by like a foot? It was it was like over two feet wide and maybe like a foot out, and he had his heels digging in. Oh, there. my gosh. Park bench. Park bench. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And – uh the first thing he said to me when I walked around a corner was, uh, oh, you're a sight for sore eyes. <laughs> As he's hanging on to the tree, oh the tree branch. And uh, and then, um, I don't know, I was trying to process what it is that I was looking at. Because I wasn't expecting that. And uh, I remember him saying, hey, I'm just hanging on by a tree branch. And when he said that, it all clicked. Like, you know, just, he was maybe like 10 feet above an even steeper uh, portion of the hill, and um, and then just from we they had the scene lights on the helicopter, and I just see it going straight down, just an ice shoot straight down, and as far as as far as the light goes, it was 500 feet down, and there was just jagged rocks all the way down, no trees, just rocks, and um, I got on the radio, and. I said, he's hanging on. Uh, can I cuss on here? Yeah, do whatever ahead. you want. Yeah. As I told, I told her, I said, he's hanging on by a fucking tree branch. <laughs> you know, as I'm standing over, standing there, and I'm about maybe a good 10 feet from him still. And uh, Corporal Rasmussen gets on the radio and he says, okay, what do you need? What do you need us to do? What do you need from us? And I'm kind of looking around trying to see what options I have, which wasn't much. Um, and then he called on the radio again and said, Hey, do you want us to send the tag light down? And, um, he kept asking me that. And I said, you know, let, give me a minute. Let me, let me figure out what, uh, what it is that I can do. And I knew that I didn't have a lot of time given from the time that he fell to when he called for help and the time it took us to get down there. He, uh, said on the radio that he was losing feeling in his hands. Hypothermia was kicking in. Uh, when we were able to, when we were in route to him. So I knew there wasn't much time. Like I didn't have much options. And, uh, so I just decided to take what gear I had on, toss it off to the side and then slowly work my way down to him. Uh, once I was able to, I was, I don't know how, but I was able to get almost right on top of him. And that's when he told me that he, his backpack, which he had this huge, uh, like multi-day rucksack on his back. Um, 
uh, said it was pulling him down the hill. So I took my knife out and started cutting the backpack off of him. And I was able to get the backpack cut off of him. And when it did, it shot down the hill. Which I'll pause you right there, Mike. I'll pause you right there, Mike, because that scared the shit out of me. And I, Mike and and Corporal Rasmussen, I was like, oh, shit. I thought someone had fallen down the mountain because all I see is this massive black. Because we're looking at a white phosphorus. It's just black and white. I just see a white, black and white thing just tumbling down the mountain. I was like, oh, shit. Who just fell down the mountain? Please don't be Mike. Please don't be Mike. Please don't be Mike. It wasn't even, you know, we we sign up for this. You know, it is what it is. But I was like, I was just like, oh, shit. And then Chad and and Andy, our corporal, was like, what happened? I was like, I don't know. I don't know. And 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 because how bright the 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 one the one forty five is so powerful and so awesome, we hoisted up two hundred feet. We I once we lower Mike down, we we climb another. I don't know, Chad, you can say this or not, but we climb another fifty to one hundred feet. Just the rotor wash is so intense. It's such a great platform, but it is so intense that we we once the rescuer is down and he's off the hook, we climb. We we raise the hook about halfway up just to you know, get it off away from trees, but we get higher and, um, and all I, at that point it was, you know, it's dots and, you know, black and white little dots. But all I see is this big black thing tumbling down the mountain. I was like, what the shit is that? And I say, it, and Chad's like, what? And I was like, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. But something just fell down the mountain. So I'm not sure. And then luckily Michael, uh, Edwards, I'll send it back to you, but luckily he relayed quickly back to us between that quick interjection I had with the pilot and Cobalt of oh shit. Um, he tells us what was tumbling down the mountain, but uh, it scared the, yeah. it scared the <laughs> shit out of me, but wow. I'm the only one that I'm only the only one that can see what's out there. So, you know, uh, if anyone doesn't know how, you know, uh, rescues work, the pilot looks at a fixed point straight off the nose. He does, he's not watching the rescue. He doesn't know what's going on. It's all about who's out the door and um, that great communication between, you know, the, all the, all the crew members, the pilot only knows what's happening with the rescue from the other parts of the, you know, of the people on the crew. So he only knows what's happening. If I'm telling him what's happening, other than that, he's looking at a rock or a tree or whatever. He's looking out straight off the nose to keep the aircraft straight. So he, he's blind to the situation. He's just listening and, and, and enjoying the show. Um, so whatever I say, he's going to react to. So when I say, Oh shit, he says, what? And I say, I don't know. <laughs> Uh, it's, uh, it's a little harrowing situation until, but then Edwards told us, you know, a couple seconds later that he had just cut the backpack off this guy. And that was the backpack falling down the mountain, but it scared the crap out of me. What a relief though in the aircraft. Holy smoke. Oh, it was, it, it, the whole thing was just, I was, it was below zero and I was sweating. I don't know how it happens. I was freezing my ass off. (laughs) I was, my knees were shaking, but I was still sweating. I, I don't know how, I don't know how that works, but I was so stressed. I was so stressed, but, but. But yeah, that especially when that I see this black thing just falling down the mountain, I was like, "Oh shit, who's that? What is that?" But Edward's back to you. Sorry, I had to interject, but it scared the shit out of no, me. No, no, that's awesome. It's okay. So, uh, so once the backpack, I was able to cut the backpack off. I was kind of surprised how quick it took off. So uh, it, it was a, it was pretty <laughs> steep out there. Yeah. yeah, it was it was pretty steep out there. It was it was gone. It was out of view within a few seconds it, that's how quick it went down but uh once once i got that backpack off um i reached down with my left hand 
and uh, was able to slide him, use the ice to my advantage, and slide him up onto his side and on his butt. And then I, I had sat right down next to him, and we were using that rock as a uh, as a to stabilize ourselves on the side of the hill. So we were both we both had our feet on that little rock, fighting for space to stay up. <laughs> and uh, and I did a quick assessment on him, asked him if he was injured, and to be honest, the uh, he he said that his leg was sore, and um, he didn't have any. I couldn't. I saw no visible injuries on him whatsoever. Um, it, it was a miracle that one, he didn't get injured going down, falling 200 feet down an ice chute. And two, that he was able to grab that tree branch out in the middle of nowhere. You know, I mean, wow. once you start going, you pick up speed quick down the, those ice chutes and, and not a lot will slow you down. Right. So, uh, he, he's, he had someone, there was someone looking out for him that night for sure. And we'll tell people it wasn't, and, uh, it's so, not a tree. It was a, like a berry bush. It was like a, yeah, I know. Yeah. It was like something that crawls out of a rock just to grow. Uh, we went back, wow. the, we went back the next, yeah. we went back the next day, unfortunately, but it was not a tree. It was like a, a three armed little berry bush or something. It's not a tree. It's we're talking like, uh, it, it looked like a, a tumbleweed on steroids. That's it. Yeah. Oh, that's uh, Charlie Brown Christmas tree. Come on. Very, uh, very. Yeah, that's what. It, that's what. It, that's very, what it was like a baby sapling. It's just a very small. It's very, very small. Yeah, I think it was like. Uh, I want to go back yeah. to to Mike. Your decision to come off the hook, because I mean that was. I, that's me a, too. Me too. Me too. All right, Quinny, you you go with that. No, go, it's go. Your thing. Take it, John. Take it, John. No, I just I think that's you know, you know Drew said we sign up for this and and we do, but you know we're in the business of risk mitigation. You know, and and you, you you knowingly come off the hook. You know now what the what the the slopes like. You know what the ice is like. You know that you've got micro spikes and not crampons. And, and I and I will say, hold on one second there, uh, Mike. I will say this with you talking about having to go down through trees. I totally get it because you don't want the hoist cable to get all of a sudden uh, intertwined with all branches and trees as you're going through, and then you create a total snag hazard to the helicopter and yourself. Uh, just out of curiosity, Mike, I, I know you said you were standing on, like, we're going to call it the park bench, and you guys were kind of fighting over space. <laughs> fighting over space. <laughs> uh, did, it was just a small spot. They were nuts some... to butts. They were nuts oh, to butts. Hey, yeah. how you going? Yeah. First date, that's weird. <laughs> yeah. Fancy meeting you here. Pop, <laughs> sorry, pop, sorry. Popcorn in a movie. Popcorn yeah. in a movie. That was it, yeah. Um, did you have anything else that you were holding on to, or...? Or just no. So just your, it your was footing. Just you were trusting your footing a hundred percent the the whole time. Yeah. Wow, with a five hundred foot cliff yeah, I mean, below you. Jeez, oh man. Yeah, uh, you know, it, I don't want to. Uh, it was scary, but uh, I don't think I should. I don't think I was as scared as I should have been. Uh, like I said, that was my first time on that on the cactus of clouds that night with the ice like it was. So. Going down there, I just wasn't familiarized with it, and I didn't realize how dangerous it was. So I think that's why I was able to do what I did. Because if I think if I knew how truly dangerous the situation that I was in and he was in, it might have slowed me down a little bit. Yeah. But uh, but yeah, I was pretty ignorant to to how dangerous it really was. Wow. And then once I saw him, that just kind of went out the window. My I don't want to say my safety went out the window. I was still very very methodical on how I was getting down to him, but I was more focused on, on trying to get to him and get him out than trying to 
worry about what if the what ifs of if I slipped or things like that. So yeah, jeez, oh man. All right, so now you've got everything set up, ready to go, ready for pickup. What are they sending now? Yeah, once I uh, once I got them next to me, we were sitting down. Um, I reached over, grabbed a hot seat, and uh, was able to get him in the hot seat while sitting down. Um, and then once I got him set up and ready to go, uh, I signaled for the hook and, and drew, I, I, and when I signaled for the hook, I got on the radio, let him know that I was ready to hoist the victim out. But I had to tell Drew, I said, Hey, we can't stand up. We can't move. You're going to have to put it right on top of us. And, uh, he was like, okay, not a problem. And he sent the hook down and he, he got it right in my lap. Well done, right, Drew. Right in my lap. So that's awesome. Well, Good well, job, Drew. So it was, it was... Well, but between so Mike on the ground, all his cool shit he did on the ground, like there's other stuff happening in the helicopter, right? And I'm stressing my ass off the whole time, like, holy crap, is Mike gonna die? Who died? Who fell on the mountain? And I'm and Chad can attest to this because we were talking the whole time, obviously, and I'm like Chad's like, what's going on down there? I was like, I don't know, dude. I can't fucking see shit. Like, I can't see. I don't know what's going on. I have no idea. Uh, there's, It looks like people are on the ground. And it's like a constant dance, obviously, because the helicopter is constantly moving. It's not like the helicopter just sits there in a perfect hover, even though this has a great stabilizing system. I still have to tell Chad, you know, left, right, a couple clicks. We call a click. I think, Chad, you can... Um, Correct me, but I think one click is three meters, so like six feet. So the helicopter will sway back and forth, and I say click to the left. I think it's like six to nine feet, right, Chad, uh, if I'm wrong? One meter for three feet. One meter for three, whatever. So I, tomato, tomato, right? So like when we get off one course, beer, I just say. One beer, three beers, whatever. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So like I'm, we have raised above our you know, our hoisting capability because uh, – the downwash is so bad. We don't want to, you know, blow Mike and the guy off the mountain. So we're above it. Um, so we raise up and now I'm looking at, you know, between 200 feet to, you know, 400 feet. I'm trying to look down under phosphorus goggles. Like they're not, they're not magnifying glasses. I still, it's so hard to see anything and I'm just not sure what's going on. And they're like, what's going on down there? I'm like, I don't know. Uh, it was just, a, it was a very stressful situation that, I don't think any of us had ever Chad, maybe because he's 90 years old, but I had never experienced before. Uh, Not even half that. Come on, bro. (laughs) Chad, as far as what you experienced as the PIC, uh, we talked about, you know, elevations, 8,000 feet, there's snow in the ground. So obviously it's cold. That, that area is windy often. Uh, what did you experience as far as winds go and, and all that kind of stuff? It's normally windy, but uh, that particular night, uh, we were good. I mean, there were less than five knots. Uh, kind of put it in perspective uh, where the Palm Springs tram goes. We were maybe 200 yards to the east of that, just kind of in one of the uh, pockets there. So sight picture for the uh, hover was was ideal because there was basically rocks right out to the right, cent- or right side of the uh, window. So I just put it in park, basically, and I was just kind of, you know, doing the dialogue there between... Uh, Andy Rasmussen and uh, Drew just coordinating and yeah, it was, we did have to turn the heater down. We got a little warm up front. So, Oh, oh yeah. Really... Shut up. Shut up. Dad. <laughs> yeah. He was there. Oh, it's hot up here. <laughs> and Drew's freezing his ass off. He, I was, dude, I was so cold. I didn't know it was cold until I got back in the helicopter and then I was like, 
I was shivering. My hands were frozen. I, I, at one point, I didn't, I couldn't even work the hoist controller because I didn't realize my thumb wasn't working. Oh but I was so stressed gosh. that I didn't know I was, I didn't know I was that cold until I was like, oh, I got to bring him up. And I was like, how does this work? And I was like, I used my leg because my hand. I'd been outside for ten plus minutes, you know, under the rotor wash and stuff. Right. You don't, I mean, the, the heat of the moment, you don't, you're not cold. But then I tried to use my thumb, and I, my thumb wouldn't work. So I was like. So I had to use my leg. I used the controller against my leg to bring him up because I couldn't use my thumb. <laughs> uh, wow. Mike, double extraction. You went up with him at that time. We uh, we hadn't started training yet okay. for the two ups. Okay. So um, what we did was uh, I hooked him up to the hoist when it came down and sent him up first. Okay. And then I stayed down, gathered up the remaining gear that I had, and then. Uh, Drew set the hook right down for a second time right in my lap. And then I hooked up, and then I was up and out. Wow. Dang, man. That's wild, too. Like, we don't, we don't, we didn't practice, you know, seated hoists at the time. It was just an arm's length. You know, he got about, what do you, what do you, I don't know, Quinny, I don't know what you guys do, but it's usually with an arm's length, right? You grab the hook. If you have to move any farther, you let the aircraft come to you, right? So within a five to six foot ring, I don't know. Is it I, mitigates swing, right? We uh, I no, I try to land it right on target. No, I don't yeah, want anybody so to step. I don't want anybody. Correct. To yeah. Yeah. If your yeah. if your arm can't reach it, if your arm can't reach it, the helicopter will bring it to you, right? Right. So or we, you, that's you usually... hit, there's another kind of tip and trick, and I'll show you this when I come out. But you ah, make I'd the cable it. do what you want. So you know, like if you take a rope on the ground and you like whip it, and it goes, you know, yeah. like the you can do the same thing with a hoist cable. So you get like 200 feet of cable out. You give it a little whip and the thing goes right where you want it to. He was saying they're going to be, have to be seated. And they're not going to be able to move. And I, again, I didn't, we almost got the cable stuck in the tree after I dropped Mike. So I was like, well, I can't, I can't mess around with this. So we got to get it right on top of him or, or, you know, it could be sticky situations. So it was a, a very, uh, Chad did a great job putting the helicopter exactly where I told him to. And we, I just got two lucky, super quick picks. It was the hook landed right on top of both of them. And it was in and out, in and out within, I don't know. When Mike said pick them, it was as fast as that cable could go up. And then as fast as the hook would go back down to pick them back up. I was I was just ready to be done with that situation and be out of there. So it was in and out, in and out with both of them. There was no moving once once we got over spot. Chad did a great job holding that aircraft. And we just, it was in and out, in and out within I would say four minutes. We had both of them on the aircraft. Freaking beautiful. Well done, gentlemen. Well done. Wow. What a rescue. I like it. What sticks out to me and go back to, you know, you guys were using A-Stars, a three three crewed A-Star to do rescues. And now you're in a, in a 145. And you got five people that are affecting this rescue. So the CRM changes dramatically in that, in that situation. Now you've, you're communicating literally between five people instead of three. And the the communication that takes place between you guys is on point, you know, just by the virtue of the fact that this thing was successfully completed. Yeah. So I like that, you know, this, this program's new, you've got the, you've got the, the, the aircraft and the training and the personnel all in a position training wise to make this successful, you know, and that's, that's the huge part of this, you know, you guys are, are new, but you have, you have the training that's that's put you in a position where you can 
successfully utilize his equipment. That speaks volumes about, you know, you guys as an agency, your desire to evolve and get better and the equipment that you're using, you know, like take one of those elements away and this is not a successful rescue. You're, you just say, I can't do it. You know? So the fact that you guys are able to successfully do all this stuff on this night, save that ranger's life. And that is, you know, awesome. Freaking badass. Well done gentlemen. A hundred percent. We, yeah. I mean, luckily for us, we have both platforms still, and we still train both platforms because when the 145 is down, we don't have a spare 145. So I started with the A-Star, you know, like my first week on aviation duty, I did rescue on A-Star. So I'm very thankful for the communication I learned from that aircraft to the 145. It made things, you know, so much easier. And all our pilots are obviously qualified on both. But yeah, when the 145 is down, Chad had done the same rescue in the 125, but it would just been in a lot scarier and a lot harder i guess you would say it would not have been as easy we would have picked up the patient left and then had to come back for mike if he was still seated on that little rock who knows but we would have had to come back for him we couldn't have, we couldn't have picked them both up unfortunately that's just the name of the game you know uh, but with yeah. the new aircraft we could we can pick them both up you know yeah Ch- changes things dramatically a hundred percent but our we do a fantastic job before we get to the patient it's pilot crew chief and co-pilot once we get overhead and the, you know, the downside is going down, it's just co-pilot uh, and crew chief. And once the, the downsider is down, then it's, it's pilot crew chief and downsider who communicate. Everyone else is very silent unless they see an emergency. Um, uh, normally communications are sterile until someone has to say something. So we do, everyone does, uh, our training is just fantastic. We have a great platform and everyone just knows when they need to say something. And if they don't, they don't. So it just makes and mitigates all that unnecessary chatter, but you're right. It's just, it's all about crew resource management. Going back to your guys desire to get better. Uh, you guys are, are training, doing some training, uh, pretty soon with, with SR three. Yep. And, uh, you know, as part of that, Quinny's going to be out there and, and I think Rob Monday is going to be there and, and Dave Callen, like the all-stars of, of this whole group. <laughs> um, you it's know, be fun from, sure. From, yeah. From the podcast standpoint, to standpoint, I'm going to try and get out there and, and just observe what you guys are doing a little bit. Um, I think vertical might make it make an effort to get out there and, and do some observing as well and, and, and shoot you guys in, in your, your training. But, um, you know, I, I called it iron sharpening iron, you know, SR three, every person they have as part of their training cadre is, is tip of the spear, you know, the best in the industry to, to train, guys like you RSO you guys I consider in the same way you know you guys whether it's on the patrol side through star nine or the rescue side with with rescue nine you guys are doing some cutting edge stuff really cool to hear the story of of the rescue and and just the whole program you know um so your sheriff I mean he's you talk about leadership we had a leadership episode not long ago and and that man your your sheriff is is the epitome of a leader you know he doesn't he doesn't bow down to to political pressure he does what's right and in the in the eyes of his of his men he knows what's right and what needs to be done to protect the citizens of of the county and and um obviously believes in the aviation program so anyways yeah just love what that guy's done and that's uh you know kind of come down through through the ranks i think you know with your program so 100 percent, 100 percent. he's for the people and for his employees so he's a 
he's the best boss we can ask for, I think. Yeah. Couldn't agree more. He's um, more than doubled our units since he's come into office. Um, Mike Calhoun will give him props for getting the uh, training for SR3 coming our way, but um, also he did the proposal for the 145. And uh, Sheriff Bianco saw the value in that and made it happen. So it's it's we've come a long way in just a short amount of time with just our, our aviation unit and going forward with the rescue program. Quinny, before we close out here, you, you've become the official and official spokesperson for SR3. Can you talk about some of the training that, that, uh, that SR3 offers and, and what agencies, how they can benefit from that? Oh man. Uh, you know, it's actually, you know, I'll, I'll use you guys specifically at Riverside. So because you guys already have experience, we're going to come out and, and we're going to tailor the training to you guys. Like we're not coming out there to, to run you through. Can you put a hoist hook down to an empty spot? We already know you can do that. So that means that we can come out and tailor whatever and give you little tips and tricks to give you further expand your knowledge of the hoisting, give you options. Cause I love options. Um, for anybody that, that has never had training, you can start with us. We'll come out there and you start from, I've never been on a hoist hook to you're putting somebody in 150 foot trees. So confined area stuff, offset or lift, tagline or guideline, whatever you want to call it. So, I mean, there's so many options and, and we try to cover all of them depending on where the skill set is. So, yeah, what I like about SR3 is it's not just centered on the, the rescuers, you know, while you guys are doing what's the most, probably the most important part. But Dave is also a CFI, and he's coming out and, and working with the pilots, you know, getting them comfortable with, with how that works and, and the interaction between the two. That's huge. That's huge because we should have heard – we could hear Chad screaming the whole – we could hear Chad screaming the whole time during that rescue. So, the, yeah, <laughs> calming the pilot down would be fantastic, Quinny. I appreciate that. That's awesome. You know what? That, but that is one of the unique things about SR3 is uh, as far as I know, we are the only company that has uh, a CFI pilot that goes to the classes. And we'll sit down and, and the greatest part about Dave is he's got experience in all these areas. Like he's done mountain rescue sitting in the one, four, five, he's done stuff in the, uh, the MD, you know, he's got the experience to come in. He says, you know what, this is what you need to look at. This is how and why. So for the pilot side, like I'm not a pilot, I am not afraid to say it, but I I can tell you what you're supposed to look at. Oh yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But, uh, but I, I mean, don't fly so anyway it's good stuff really really cool any agency that has an opportunity to do some training that's our three highly recommend it um and you know obviously they'll come to you guys to do training as they are doing with rso uh, they're all also offering some webinars so you know, you've seen jason's face on some of the, the webinar stuff which has been really cool to see them do i sat through one of the webinars and you know my agency we don't even do uh that type of work but i just wanted to see you know what what their webinars look like and it was it was awesome you know, there's, there's some interactive stuff that was taking place there between you know, Quinny and Dave and, and the people that were part of that, uh, I guess, webinar. Um, so yeah, tune into those things and, uh, yeah. So in, in closing, yeah, guys, we actually watched the last two. Oh, nice. Yeah. We watched, uh, the, uh, hoist, uh, emergency operating procedures that you guys did. And then we watched the, uh, Swiftwater rescue one. Perfect. Did you pay for one and then have 10 people sitting in the room? Oh, busted. Oh, <laughs> uh, no. I, I don't recall. <laughs> I was kidding. I love it. I, I keep going back to the saying my old boss taught me was, you don't, 
you want your first time doing something to be your first time doing something. Right. And it was, it was, you know, fantastic. That, it was so fun. That the training that, that, uh, you guys are bringing will help alleviate some of that. I know you can't train for every situation that, that, that exists, but, um, you know, whether it's the training that you're relying upon or your experience or a combination of the two, I feel like that it's, it's all you can do is prepare yeah. yourself the best you can for these things that are unpredictable. A hundred percent. Yeah, hundred percent. I'll say for the people that are sitting on the injured seats, the two people that we went to actually rescue got rescued thirty-five minutes later by our mountain rescue team, rope rescue. So everyone was safe; no one got left on the side of the mountain. They got rescued thirty-five minutes later by our rope teams. Excellent. So, cool. Yeah. So don't leave them on a cliffhanger. Like, what happened to the two that we were actually <laughs> supposed to go for? But by the time we were done with our rescue, they had left where they were training. And 35 minutes after we left the mountain, they got rescued out of the trees. So that's cool. The whole mountain consider that 35 that minute time period though. And that if they were reliant, if, if that park rangers reliant upon their ability to get there and rescue him, I don't, based on what Mike's saying. Oh no. That could have lasted no. 35 minutes. He, had, he probably had five or six minutes left, but by the time we got on scene, that's when we, our corporal had already requested our team. Mid flight, once the emergency came out, he requested it. So it was probably, you know, uh, a 35 minute from when we departed, but he had already been requested 30 minutes earlier because it was mid flight. So our corporal did a fantastic job relaying cool. that information earlier yeah. than we anyone thought about it. But it was so, you know, they they probably sat there for an hour and 10 minutes, but we weren't going to get to him anyway. We we didn't we can't we can't get the hook in the trees like that. So. Uh, yeah. That's why we're we're welcome to have Quinny come out and and train us some tagline stuff. Where how do you can drop the hook and but really swing the hook like that, get under the trees and then pull out of the trees. Yeah. Um, that's something I don't know. I don't know that fancy swinging the hook kind of style. So um, we look forward to that for sure, hundred percent. It'll be fun for sure. Yeah, yeah, I think in, so. In closing, and we'll start with Chad. Do you, do you have anything to to throw out there that we didn't cover as far as the rescue goes, or Anything about your program? Uh, the program's ever-evolving. So anytime we have a rescue, uh, we have overlap Wednesdays, so you have the uh, A-side, B-side of the week. Everyone gets together. We debrief. So we're trying to always constantly learn from, hey, we should have thought of this. What could we have done differently? And always trying to improve the program. So um, obviously having SR3 come out, that's going to give us a whole new, some more tools for the uh, the tool belt there kind of thing. We couldn't close this podcast out without mentioning Mike Calhoun. You know, he's... His vision and his uh, we, leadership. We can. We definitely can. That's fine. <laughs> his vision and leadership has contributed to a lot of this. And, and uh, I mean, all of you guys are, are a big part of this. But, you know, uh, when this program kicked off, he was the chief pilot there. And, I, I you know, from an outs- outsider's perspective, he did a lot of a lot of good for uh, for you guys, for the residents of, of Riverside County and, and just the program in general. So Totally agree. I mean, he's very passionate about it. Uh, just rescues aviation in general but um just bringing more training again sr3 coming out it's you know not doing the same thing just seeing how you can do it better and obviously bringing them in kind of show us a different way so we're always always looking to improve and yes mike has been instrumental in doing that for us yeah and drew we'll move to you yeah any, any closing thoughts our unit's fantastic and our sheriff is amazing and he gives us all the money we need to get better trained and he's he really is sending these guys to some awesome training out of state just some crazy stuff and bringing Quinny in and stuff like that now uh, that we're going to be probably one of the 
better equipped units in the in the state to do rescues and uh you know we're gonna hit some snags but we're gonna be ready to hit any situation that's necessary 10,000 feet or you know below sea level um our guys are gonna be able to do it it's gonna be pretty cool and that's the one thing that's interesting about riverside county it literally goes below sea level the salton sea all the way up to 10,000 feet so you guys literally have you know all the all that in between uh mike for you and i just want to start off again by emphasizing how how heroic it was that you came off the hook when you when you got down to the ground and made your way to the the ranger and, and rescued the guy you know it, it was an officer down scenario you guys knew it based on what was being broadcast over the radio and i think that uh that influenced your decision and, and desire to, to rescue the guy so again um thank you for for doing that thank you for you know protecting the citizens of riverside county the state and the country but also for our own you know uh we we want to protect our own as much as we can and, and you did that uh on that night so uh thank you for doing that congratulations on on the uh the award that's that's huge um but in closing any any thoughts on you know the rescue the operation any of that kind of stuff i think that with the experience training and equipment that we had that night um there's no other way we could have done it i think we did exactly the way we were so we we could have done it and i I just don't think there was any better way to do it so and in the end it was success it was a, a successful rescue we had great pilots, uh, great crew chief, uh, you know, just a great crew that night. It was everything fell into place the way it should have. And uh, I don't think it could have gone any better than it did, given the circumstances that we found ourselves in. Yeah. Yeah, so. for sure. Quinny, I see you sitting back there all, all, all polite. No, all I mean, I, I love it. I love it. <laughs> it was an amazing rescue. I mean, again, mad props to you guys. Life saved. Well done. That's what it's all about. Adapt and overcome to make the rescue. That's freaking awesome. Yeah. Quinny, I don't remember going back to, you know, early parts of, of your rescue career. I feel like when I interviewed you on the podcast, your first rescue is what I think it was you was something pretty phenomenal. Oh uh, yeah. Yeah. It was rough. 20 foot waves. And <laughs> Can you just oh, no touch on deal. that real briefly? I mean, it. There's a lend to the yeah. story a little bit. So the, my, my very first rescue was uh, we got called out on a medevac out in the middle of the Bering Sea, and the guy was going in and out of consciousness. And Next thing you know, I'm being lowered down to the boat, and it's rolling over 20-foot waves, snowstorm coming in. Like everything that could have gone wrong went wrong, and everything that went could have gone right went right. It, it, just, it was like that weird – like kind of like what happened with you guys. You know, We had the, the tagline, or they call it the trail line in the Coast Guard, Trail line fell out of the aircraft, wrapped around the tail landing gear, like stuff like that. The litter was bouncing off the side of the boat. Sparks are going everywhere. And at the same time, like my, my flight surgeon is up in the aircraft getting sick, throwing up. Ugh. I was like, oh, <laughs> it's not good. And at the same time, we get the guy out of Once we got everybody in the aircraft and we're heading back, you know, it was, it was smooth sailing. And it was just that, that short time. It was like, oh my gosh. And, but that was my very first rescue. I was like, I remember getting back and be like, wow, they're all like this. No, they're not. <laughs> so, yeah, it's, it, it sounds like, you know, Mike, your story, you're, you know, new in the program. It wasn't your first rescue, but yeah. you know, first six months for sure. Yeah. And it, it, going back to training like this, this is one of those scenarios where, you know, for Quinny and, and for you, the training that you guys were a part of prior to this, to this incident for both of you guys, 
gave you enough skill and enough experience to successfully affect the rescue. And that's pretty cool, you know? So anyways, that's, that's, uh, that's my two cents. And, uh, it's been an honor to hear your guys' story. It's been an honor to, to do this with Quinny as the podcast mashup. And, uh, thanks yeah. John. Hangers, he represent. Yeah. <laughs> if you have any questions, uh, hit up John Gray at hangersdpodcast.com. I'll, I'll refer nice. to Chad. <laughs> All right. Well, um, for those that uh, go to HAI pretty soon, we'll see you out there. For those that don't, hopefully we'll catch you at uh, APSA or, or somewhere else. You guys... Good night, everybody. Thanks for listening. Yep. yep. Have a good one. We'll we'll catch yeah. you later. Later. All right, guys. Take Quite a nice meeting you, John. We'll talk to you. Take care, brother. All right. See ya. Yeah. Oh, is this where we say goodbye to? Thank you for tuning in. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Real Rescue Podcast. Please take a minute to like, subscribe, and hit that share button. I'm pulling chocks and taking off. But before I go, if anyone out there has a rescue story they would be willing to share, I would be humbled and honored to have you on as a guest. Or if you have any questions about rescue or anything else we talk about here, send an email to jason at therealrescue.com. That's jason at T-H-E-R-E-A-L-R-E-S-Q.com. You can also check us out on our web pages, therealrescue.com, our Facebook page, and our Instagram page, at The Real Rescue. Again, a special thank you to all of you standing on the watch today. Always remember, when that star alarm goes off, Those in distress are praying for a miracle. They are going to get you. Until next time, fly safe and swim hard.